Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and as well as uh, equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm Spiritual Engagement Coordinator for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is Larissa Levicheva. Larissa is a regular here on the show and a professor of Bible at Wesley Seminary, also here in Marion, but with students all around the globe. And she's an excellent teacher and writer in uh, biblical studies with a focus on Old Testament and particularly Hebrew poetry, Ecclesiastes, and other wisdom literature, as well as in the Psalms, which we're going to take a look at today, continuing our engagement with the Psalms this year. So Psalm 36 is our text this week. Psalm 36. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, just hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice and share this show with others who might benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show as well as receive some additional content, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text. That's patreon.com slash fresh text and see how you can become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Larissa. Well, shall we jump in? Sure. Would you be keen on reading uh, the passage to start us off? Yes. Psalm 36, you read it and I'll pray and then we'll chat. Yes, sure. Psalm 36, for the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves. Too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love for God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in the heart. May the food of the proud not come against me. Now the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your righteousness, your faithfulness, and your steadfast love. We ask that your light and your life would shine and be at work among us. As we study this ancient poem, grant to Larissa and myself the light of mind, a light in the heart, to see what you wish us to see here. And may all those who listen in be also illumined by your light of life. Pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Amen. So, yeah, what's uh, what stands out at you in this text, in this uh, ancient psalm? A slightly less, probably a less famous psalm doesn't get quoted nearly as yeah. often, although it has some some really central ideas uh, tucked away in the middle of it. But right. uh, yeah. yeah, what stands out to you today about it? I think it's one of those psalms that combines three different things in it, and that's why it's kind of hard to place it in one category. Ah, um, it yeah. starts out as a wisdom psalm, very much like you would be reading Proverbs, talking about the wicked and what makes them wicked and how they function, right? What What's wrong about them? And then without any connection words, any change, it suddenly moves into the praise of the Lord. Which and that's would, like verse five right. in mm-hmm. the English. Yeah. Which you would expect in the psalm, like praise, yes, we're used to that. But then at the very end, 10 to 12, it turns into more of a supplication, right? Asking for something and like more of a prayer. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting, like how there are these sharp turns in the flow of the psalm, but yet everything is connected. Yeah. Right? So I think it's very, it's a very interesting psalm in that regard. In kind of a fun way, it's almost like, with the exception maybe of the royal psalms, it's like a one-stop shop for, I mean, these would be three of the most frequent sort of genres of the psalms or types of psalms, right? I mean, right. I'm trying to think yes. what else. Mm-hmm. I mean, these would be the biggies, right? right. <laughs> Wisdom, yeah. a praise, praise. and yeah. some kind of petitions, which often have a little bit of imprecation built in. This one has a, a few little... Right. <laughs> but that's all part of yeah. part of petitioning the Lord. Yeah, wow. I mean, do you I mean, I don't want to get into compositional theories at all, obviously, but having said that, just for fun, would it be plausible to think that these might have been, you know, that there may have been a history here, different psalms that find their way together, or uh or is I mean, obviously at the end of the day that's irrelevant. They're here together, but I mean just wondering if there's, if it's not just the type of psalm, but even the style or the rhythm, do they actually feel like different psalms, or is it just a matter of a, a shift in content rather than just? Yeah, I think it's just a shift in content. I think okay. if there were words like "but" and "therefore," we would feel a much smoother transition. Okay. But because those words are not there, it seems like it's a sharp turn. Ah, uh, okay. But I, I wonder if it's also done purposefully for that psalm so that when you read it or when you hear it read, it's like almost like I know what to expect, but then something else comes. Mm-hmm. So it kind of keeps you attentive and listening and participating in it if this is something that's read out loud during worship. Yeah, no, it's uh, no, it is rather jarring, those shifts. Yeah, that's so. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about verse one at all? Because I know there was some, at least I noticed, uh, I guess there's some manuscript differences and that sort of thing. Wasn't sure if you wanted to speak into that. We don't, we don't have to camp out on them very long, but what did your version have today? I'm trying to remember what you're using. What it's version? a is NIV. NIV. You bring a different one every time. It's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, my says, I have a <clears throat> message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I think the the difference is that it's a singular, not a plural. Mm-hmm. Right? 
the wicked as one or the lofty sometimes translated. And it's, you know, I have a message from God in my heart, but my heart seems to be actually relating to the wicked, not to the person speaking. So I wonder if it's the wicked saying my heart rather than, let's say, David, who, let's say, he wrote it, saying my heart about the wicked. Yeah. So that's why it's a little confusing. And I've looked at different translations, and they're all trying to smooth it out. Yeah. In different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because ESV's got transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. And this is Robert Alter, crimes utterance to the wicked within his heart. So that's attempting to smooth it the other direction. Right. Whereas NIV goes with kind of my heart speaking out against the wicked. Right. And I guess there's different Hebrew texts, actually. There's right. a textual history of people trying to smooth it out. So the smoothing isn't just a translation issue. It's a textual <laughs> and, problem. I yeah. mean, it's a minor one. but And Septuagint also adds a little bit of, you know, as a variant, trying to smooth it out. I think they're trying to smooth it out, but maybe not. So, so if you just kind of left it jarring, it would be transgression speaks to the wicked in my heart. heart. <laughs> it's kind of like, wait, which is That's it? That's what it's supposed to be. Right? <laughs> yeah, Okay. Oh, that's helpful. That's helpful. So it could be a, a scribal error, right? The final consonant. If it's just one change in a consonant instead of a vav, it's a yod. Or instead of a yod, it's a vav, then it will be his or mine. Right. So it's minor, and they almost look the same. The top of them are the same, right? The yod right. and the vav, the first. Right. The yod is so small, right? Yeah, it's a little. And then if you dropped it down just a little too right. long, it would turn into a vav. Right. Or didn't finish it, it would turn a vav into a yod, right? Right. So they're yeah. so close. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when we have a Hebrew Bible scholar here, we can't not do a little bit of textual yeah. analysis. Well, <laughs> I'm totally enjoying this right now. Yeah. <laughs> but I think what's actually ironic about the whole verse and about probably verses one and two is that it's the utterance. Usually, utterance is something that comes from the Lord. To his people, ah. right? But it's actually the sinfulness of the wicked heart making an utterance. Mm. Which fits wisdom literature in a way, though, right? More than a prophetic utterance would be like God. Is that fair to say or not? That it Right. So the whole point is that the wicked is now consider himself, or, you know, if we just go with the Hebrew text, his, right? His heart, right? The wicked. Then... He is now putting himself in the place of God, right? God is the one who is giving the utterance usually ah, in, the, in the Hebrew texts, right? right? But now it's the sinfulness of the wicked person's heart that's actually making an utterance. So I think the um, in this regard, the NIV is not the best translation because it doesn't give that. You have the I have two crimes, things open. Right, the crimes or... This is uh, crimes utterance. It makes it... Uh, and transgression speaks to the wicked. So ESV right. and, and Alter are both kind of personifying the right. sin right, as right, the speaker, right. which I think is accurate to the original Hebrew from right. what I understand. So, and this is where the irony, right? So oh. whatever is in the heart of a person makes that utterance. Well, in the heart of the wicked person is transgression or sin or crime. Well, it should be the Lord who is making the utterance. Ah. Does that match up with this self-flattery then? Right. Okay. So you usually flatter somebody because you want to gain something, right? Like you do it for your own sake. But when you flatter, you know it's not true. Right, right. So that's then it's another point of irony. 
he flatters himself he flatters in his own himself. eyes. But that means he knows it's BS. Right. right. If it's flattery. So he thinks he's really important. Yeah. And he flatters himself. So it's like, well, that's double stupid. Well, then it comes out and says it explicitly in verse three. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. So it doesn't matter how much he tries to convince himself otherwise, right? Then nobody will detect this sin or hate this sin. They flatter themselves that too much to detect or hate this sin. But no, that they may say whatever they want to themselves, but it's quite true and it's obvious that that's what they're doing is not good. But another thing that I think is very interesting about this, the first four verses, yeah. and then it will go when speaking about the Lord, but it will be the opposite, is that how much the words, what we say, is connected to the type of actions that we perform. Yeah. So the speech is an act in itself. For example, in James, yeah, right. what we say is actually our actions, right? And that point out whether we are wise or not. And that's the same thing that's here. Uh, NIV says, I have a message from God to my heart, but it's the... Transgression speaks, speaks to the wicked. Right. Or about the wicked deep in the heart. They flatter themselves, right? So yeah, that's speaking. Speaking. You know, Words of the mouth. And then plotting would be more thoughts, I suppose. Right. While on his bed. But then they fail to act wisely or do good. They commit themselves to a sinful course yes. and do not reject what is wrong, right? It all starts with the words mm-hmm. and the thoughts, and then it goes to the action. So you can't, you can't divide those, right? You can't divorce what you say and what you do. It's all together. Yeah, and it kind of escalates, right? Verse 3 is ceasing to act wisely and do good, whereas verse 4 is setting himself in a way that is not good. So it's not, you know, starts with sins of omission and then moves to sins of commission to use that terminology. And that James connection is very helpful because, of course, James in many ways is the wisdom Wisdom. literature of the New Testament, right? Right? So, yeah, yeah, good. Let's take a quick break and come back and explore the praise section. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with uh, Larissa Levicheva, and we're looking at Psalm 36. Let me go ahead and read. I took a glance uh, you had asked before we started recording about the lectionary where I draw these texts out of, and the selected text is just verses 5 through 10. I've just ignored that because I don't like cutting psalms up, so I just make it the whole psalm. But I think we really did 1 through 4 some justice at the beginning. Let me just read 5 through, but I'll go all the way to the end, 5 to 12. And this this is from Robert Alter's translation. Lord, in the heavens, your kindness and your faithfulness to the skies, your justice like the unending mountains, your judgment, the great abyss, man and beast you rescue, O Lord. How dear is your kindness, O God, and the sons of men in your wings shadow shelter. They take their fill from the fair of your house and from your stream of delights, you give them drink for with you is the fountain of life. And in your light, we shall see light. Draw down your kindness to those who know you and your justice to the upright. 
Let no haughty foot overtake me, nor the hand of the wicked repel me. There did the doers of mischief fall. They were toppled and could not rise. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Since Amen. that's a prayer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did want to point out one observation and ask your opinion about it. I did notice that there is a, one interesting, if we're talking about the, so there's the jarring shift it feels from four to five, but five to 10 and 10 through 12 do have a catchword connecting them. They both open with a reference to steadfast love or kindness in Alter's translation. I presume if it's steadfast love that that's chesed. I didn't have it out in front of me, but um, I'll double check while you comment on that. But anyway, that just jumped out at me that kind of links those a little bit more Mm -hmm. tightly maybe than the first. So any thoughts on that connection there? I think the connection, it was the love in five and then in 10, Mm -hmm. the very tight connection between those two parts. But I think because the first part, the first four uh, verses yeah. are about how the um, the proud, the wicked carry themselves around and how they talk, uh. it may seem, and it's probably the ones who have power, right? right. It's not your neighbor who is in a sim- similar situation, but just seems to be a little pr- uh, you know, prideful. It's the ones who have power, most likely, but... Instead of lording it over, (laughs) remembering where it came from now, um, think that they, that's why they flatter themselves. They can do it, right? It's theirs. So the the shift then it's, yeah, that's what's happening right now. But you, Lord, right? Your love, your faithfulness, your protection and provision. There's so much more, even though this, whatever, this wicked person or people, right there in my face, I should like step back and look how big you actually are. Yeah. So, and in light of you, they are not as powerful. That's why when it comes back to the end of the Psalm, right, where he is asking to continue with the love for those who know you and your righteousness to the upright. And then may the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. Right. So that's. And that's a catch word, wicked. Right. So that's the connection to, it seems like the the psalm opens with just a statement of fact of what the wicked are and how they behave and what they say. But there is a connection. It's actually not just some abstract wicked. Most likely, as we always pray, pray, we know exactly who we're talking about. So I think that's that's the connection that kind of like makes inclusio or bookends we start with the wicked we end with the wicked yeah we start with them flattering themselves and lording over but whereas we, god's stooping down right. making things right for the right. oppressed his hesed is his faithfulness to those even when they fall short right and that's why we <clears throat> end the psalm very interestingly see how the evildoers lie fallen yes thrown down not able to rise the way um the way the sentence is uh, built in Hebrew, it's a pu'al, which is a passive. Yeah. So they are thrown down. So somebody had to do it. And it's that situation where the Hebrew text tells you that's God. The implied, the right. divine passive, passive. Right, right? They call it. Right. So it's that situation of going with the New Testament. Already not yet, right? I know that because God's in power, because his authority is overwhelming everywhere, 
he will take care of them. So they're already judged. They're already thrown down. Yet I know that I'm still facing them. Yeah. Right? We're, we don't have to camp on this, but what's this there doing in the last verse? I don't know. Maybe NIV smoothed it out. In verse 12, the very last verse, See how there the evildoers lie fallen. There did the doers of mischief fall. It's uh, sham in Hebrew. It's just weird. Yeah. But there, there's no apparent antecedent to this place that's being right. referred to. And I think that's what the NIV says. See how. Okay. Rather than there in a place, more of the state. See, look at them. They have fallen. <laughs> Check here, here, just for funsies, here's Alter's comment on that. Mm-hmm. So there did the doers of mischief fall. He says, initially, the use of the uh, de ictic, I don't even know what that word means. The ictic there is puzzling, but it has an emotional rightness, he says. The poem that began with an intimate recording of the wicked man's malicious speech ends with a confounding of the wicked. But this defeat of the wicked happens at a distance in the past, and we could add passive voice, in a place from which the speaker is happily removed. I don't know. I find that kind of, you know what I mean? Right. It's what, <laughs> That's a fun comment. <laughs> you know, I think it's, you know, in the, pre- you know, in precable psalms? Is that what oh, it's it, called? What is it I've called? Heard, is it imprecations? Imprecatory? Imprecatory. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if it was a verb, it'd be imprecation. Right. So <laughs> such a weird word. <laughs> so rather than like, it's that you're mad, you pray, right? But you leave it in God's hands. Ah. And you say, "I'm ready to do all these things." It's not, Lord, give me strength to my arm so that I may slay my wicked. Right. It's, Lord, it's you like slay you, them. <laughs> right. You take care of them. That's so good. And it will be way worse than I can even imagine. But I know you do it because you know. Killing or even thinking bad things about people, right, is not a good thing to do because your thoughts and your words is the way right. you act, actually, right? That'll turn so, me into the wicked, too. Right. But if I put it in a form of prayer and hand it to God, and so then this right. grammar that's at a distance here, right, in the past, in the passive voice, right. yeah. at a distance there, right. is a way of kind of releasing it. Right. Yes. Releasing it to God. That's very helpful because I know some people find the, including the lectionary that cuts it out of the psalm. Right. You know, I mean, it just ended at verse 10. <laughs> We're going to ignore that. I mean, a lot of modern readers, Christian readers, this, these parts of the psalms can be troubling. Right. And so I, yes. I appreciate that clarification on how it's perceived and even the language reflects that. That's really good. So uh, any other things? Sorry, I kind of no, 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 focused in on one, on some of that. Uh, at the end, anything there in the middle that you wanted to point out to us uh, and to our listeners yeah, that's th- of interest there? I think, well, as I read verses five and six, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies, your right- righteousness is like the highest mountain, your justice like the great deep. It's, you know, like how wide and deep and long oh, and high yeah. is the love of God, right? That's Ephesians 3.18. Yeah. And so that's that's the same thing. Or it reminds me of Psalm 139, I think it's 7 and 8. Where can I go from your spirit? Uh, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. So there is no no place, right? There is no way of escaping uh, your presence, your love, 
and your righteousness, right? The whole point is about being oppressed and justly. That's the whole point of talking about the wicked and what they're doing. But your righteousness, right, which is the same word for justice. So it's, you know, justice and righteousness and love. They're everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I fully rely on you. And it also kind of reminds me of Psalm 23. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. If I walk through the shadow, right? The, The whole point is shadow is the absence of light. And the absence of light means you can't see, you don't know. It's fear, but your presence is there. So it is, it may be a shadow, but it's a good thing. And they feast in the abundance of your house. You prepare a table before me, right? Oh, um, yeah. And then also 90, Psalm 90, there's a reference to right. the yes. under the shadow so of your wings. wings. Right. You give them drink from your river of delight. You, you know, my cup overflows, right? Wow. So that, that, these are all the images that come together. They're, they run consistently through the Psalter and, you know, we see them move into the uh, New Testament. But the idea of the temple, right? It's the temple. That's where it's going. Your house is the temple. So where people would bring, um, sacrifices of well-being, mm. right? And that's a sacrifice where the person just brings the sacrifice, but then takes the meat back and, throws a feast to celebrate what God has done. So the idea that the provision and protection all comes from God and he allows this to happen. And the idea then of the river, you know, and fountain, there's no source of water in Jerusalem, right? So it's not, so there is no river flowing through the city. It's not, it's a pure metaphor. Yeah. Right. There's nothing like this. So it is the abundance of provision Right, that God gives. All they'd have would be rainwater cisterns, right. which certainly and, seem to be God's fountain, right, right? When rain comes, right? And during the time of Hezekiah, they make the right. Um, they made the tunnel, but still, it's not. It's not a running water. I've no. been in it. It's pretty. St- it's right. pretty stiff, and in a low rain season, it's going to have less in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. I think it's really it, later on, like in the New Testament, it's picked up to mean the you know, the spirit, mm-hmm. right? God's presence, His spirit running through the city. So that's that's what we see. Yeah, God, I'm remembering God Ezekiel, is Creator, the of, Covenant God, providing for everything. Yeah, the end of Ezekiel has that right. picture where there's a river in the temple and it's flowing out from right. Jerusalem. Yeah, so it's the same thing <clears> of <throat> blessing and provision and protection and love and righteousness. Who God is, is that river. Yeah, so everything you're saying is really clarifying so much of 7 and 8 and 5 and 6. Then there's these two oddballs right at the end of both of those couplets. So, And you can take them in whatever order you'd like. So the last line of 6. Man and beast, you save, oh Lord. Okay, that's doing something. Compared to the previous four lines that have had... All right. kinds of contemporary Christian songs built out of, like, they usually leave that line out because it's like, what? Right. And then the last line of seven through nine is also a very strange phrase. This, in your light, do we see light? I'd love to hear you comment on what you think those might mean and how they connect to the preceding. You pick which one, whichever one you want to do right. first. <laughs> oh, well, I go with human and animal. I wonder if it is the, understanding of God as a creator, covenant God, right? Mm -hmm. So 
everything that he's created, animal and human, he takes care of. And it also kind of remind me of um, Ecclesiastes. Probably Shocker. I, yeah. Yeah. Read too much of it. <laughs> where the, the understanding is who knows what happens to the animal or the human when they die, right? Mm. It's, it's a little bit different as far as where that is going. But the understanding of both the animals and the humans as created beings whom God takes care of. They can't, they can't do anything on their own. God has to take care of them. So I think this speaks, you know, like as a, um, uh, what's that word? Merism, the device, the literal device, when you use two kind of ands, mm. but mean everything in between. Ah, everything from man to beast. Okay. Like, yeah. Because we see that with like heavens in five, right? Reaches to the heavens. But then clouds in six, we have your justice like the great deep. So okay. up and down, everything in between, maybe human and animal, everything in between. I, I see that though. That's, okay. That's my guess. That's, that's what a possible. I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I have no objection to God saving both man and beast. It was more just the, the rhythm of the previous four lines, you know, right. is yeah. your blank, you know, your, your attribute. A, your attribute B, you know, or your attribute A prime, your attribute right, right, B, right. your attribute B prime. Because right. steadfast oh, yes, love and yes. faithfulness are similar, not identical, but similar, you know, and up. They're both up, heavens and clouds. And then you have righteousness and judgments. Those also go together as concepts. So then like I'm looking, I'm, my mind, because again, I'm, I'm too symmetrical in my brain. I'm looking for then like two more lines that maybe would have attributes in them. So it just seems like this kind of off-kilter line right. at the end of it oh, that yes. just throws me a little. And it makes me even want to say like, because then actually the next line, how precious is your steadfast love, O God, that one even, although it puts attribute of God at the end of the, right. the, the line. So it's just a little, whole thing's just a little funny. That's all. But I, I dig it. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with it. It was just, right. it was just curious how it sat in there. It would have uh, read much easier and smoother without the word animals in it. The, the verse would have read so much smoother. You could just go straight to seven. If, right. right. And if it's not there. Yeah. So let's delete it. No, I'm just kidding. That's not how That's not how the Bible works. <laughs> yeah. Throw us up whatever you don't like. All the more reason to leave it in and notice it and have right. it. Because these aren't just abstract attributes of God. They have to do with God's relationship to his creatures and to his covenant partners. Right. So in a way, it's a perfect reminder to not turn these into kind of, I don't know, deistic abstractions or right. something like that. Maybe we'll end with this. In your light do we see light. The medievals loved this, quoted it all the time, but I'm sure it's all off in mystical law land, unconnected to the text, as you would want us to see it. So what the heck is going on there? In your light do we see light. Once again, all I can do is just go back to creation story. Yeah, that's what makes and, me think of, too. Right. Day one and day four. Right. Okay, you're going there, too. We'll help our, if our readers don't have the whole creation story at their fingertips. Walk us through it then. Well, one of the first things that's created, right, is the light. Right. So, and that's what makes everything else possible to happen, right? So, because we now see, you know, the day and the night and then the the sun and the moon and the stars and like. Which aren't created uh, until the fourth right. day. So, it's, you know, bringing 
I think bringing order to the world, right? That's what creation is all about. Separating waters, taking care of the chaos, putting, you know, everything in its proper place, containing it. So that's what order means. And then bringing light to the creation. So which fits also, the provision kind of structure right. that you were highlighting in the previous couple of verses. Right. I keep keep going back to the idea like of the whole psalm that if we keep God in in his proper place, right? Yeah. He is the foundation, he is the <clears throat> authority, he is the provider, he is the protector. Then everything else falls into its uh, proper place and it's God's light that illuminates the life. And we don't need to try to figure out what to do or how to do it. And then it's good life, but it's connected to the wisdom of God. But the wisdom of God is connected to the fear of the Lord, right? And the fear of the Lord acknowledging that God is the creator covenant God. So all of that, I think, is kind of coming together. Yeah, in a way, both of those, if you think of those as stanzas, five through six and seven through nine as stanzas, they both kind of end on these creation right. notes. And in some way, five, maybe I'm making too much of this, but five through six kind of right. ends on a Genesis two note, which right. is all about the relationship right. between man and animals, right. you know, yes. the naming and then finally finding the right partner. Whereas seven through nine ends on that, you know, that light theme and day and night and, and the structure of the week that is the theme of Genesis one. Right. So we can see that God is transcendent, right? He created it all, but he's also very personal and imminent. Yes. Right. With us, he provides, he gives it all. He gives the light. All of that is together. Oh, that's lovely. Well, let's take a quick break and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Larissa Levicheva, and we're looking at Psalm 36. And we started chatting on the break, and I had to stop her because it was so good. So <laughs> no pressure now. Well, a little bit. <laughs> so let's explore some sermon starters. How how might you preach or teach or practice this psalm? Yeah, so if we go with this three-part structure of the psalm, right, the first four Versus talking about the wicked and what they say and how they live. Five through nine, talking about God, who he is and what he does. And then 10 through 12, praying about your own life. Hmm. In light of the some kind of you know, persecution, we don't know what exactly that may be, but the foot and the hand, you know, coming against you. So that's, that's probably some particular hardship. So how do we actually pray to God and ask God to take care of the situation, but then be comfortable leaving it in his hands, hmm. right? Fully rely on his love, on his faithfulness, on his righteousness, and on his justice to do it all, not interfere and not say like, well, I know what I need to do. I think in this, you know, the last two years have been hard for hmm. all of us in so many different areas and, you know, work, personal life, ministry, whatever that may be. And how do we still claim that God is love and his love is so overwhelming and ever present and yet, you know, allow, allow this to guide our daily life? 
regardless of what we may meet. The wicked, the evildoers, whatever they say, and instead of rebutting, right, instead of arguing and proving that we are right and they may have a wrong perception of us, or for whatever reason, right, just leaving vindication in God's hands. And the end of the psalm shows us that they will fall, right, or they have fallen already. But if we are struggling with something right now, that hasn't happened for us. Right. But it's it will be the same end, right? So how can we claim that end for our lives and live in light of that rather than in light of the current hurt? Does that make sense? It totally does. I, I think mean, it's a it's a tension that we need to figure out how to deal with. Yeah, I think in a way, 10, 11, 12 is kind of where the whole song comes together. I mean, in a way, a point that we were making sort of as a literary observation that one through four and five through nine are a little jarring next to each other. And in some ways without 10 through 12, they would just stay jarring next to each other. Right. But 10 through 12 really bring the two together. And that's not just sort of a curious literary observation, although we have started there that might in fact be the point of practicing a Psalm like this and preaching it, teaching it would be to say, to explore what does it mean to really notice the wickedness outside of ourselves that right. frustrates us to turn our attention to God and his faithfulness and his justice. Right. And then what does it mean to stand between those two facts? Because it doesn't really get explicitly personal until verse 10, which is even a case for that would be a internal evidence against the, uh, to, to make a choice on the, the textual issue right. in the verse verse, right? Because mm-hmm. um, really the, the me, the self, the individual mm-hmm. character doesn't really emerge till verse 10, at least in this, right. The, right. the flow of the whole psalm. And I'm thinking even in a sermon, a sermon could do that. A sermon could spend some time like talking about all those wicked people that drive us nuts and, you know, go there for a little bit, right. but then say, but really, is that what we want to pay our attention to? Turn and talk about God a little bit, say, but wicked are still there driving us nuts. Right. What does it mean to rely on the faithfulness of God in the midst of that? Or you could even just zoom in on those three verses and get to everything from there. You were saying something about the dynamics of present and future. Here's a quick thought. In some sense, verse 10 is appealing to the past because it says, continue your steadfast love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright of heart. So Hesed and Zedekah there, the love and righteousness are the first in the pairs of back mm-hmm. in five and six. So it's kind of like, God, you have been faithful. Will you please keep being faithful? Right. Whereas the second seems to say, let not the foot of the arrogant come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away in context. It kind of feels like that's like what's pressing in on us in right. the present. Yeah. Whereas 12 almost has a prophetic feel to it. Right. It's being stated as a passive in a past, but it's in context. It seems like, right. It's like I can already see them slain, <laughs> right? Maybe not yet, right. but like that's I'm going to trust that from your perspective, God, that's already done, even if a day is like a thousand years <laughs> on our end of this. Right. I don't know. How does does that resonate a kind yes. of past, present, future? Yes. So yes. Uh, that's often what we need to do when we're frustrated and angry is we get tunnel visioned in the moment right. and want to fight out and and zooming out locating ourselves in a larger story and a larger narrative is at the very least a de-escalating right. thing. Yes. And hopefully can also be a spiritual act of releasing 
releasing it to God and his faithfulness. And we also, it's always helpful to remember that the only person we can control is ourselves, <laughs> right? And we really can do nothing about the wicked, right? Or what they say or what they do. We have no control. As an Ecclesiastes scholar would also emphasize, yes, right. she would. <laughs> <laughs> so the best thing we can do is release that to the Lord. And the act of wisdom would be to leave it there. Yeah. Because we really have absolutely no control over that. But we can control our relationship with God, right? How we react to God in this situation. This is a, just a tough preaching question, teaching question, leading question. Like, how do you illustrate that without just airing your dirty laundry? <laughs> you catch what I'm saying? Right, like, yeah. I'm like sitting here across from you, dear friend, we've <laughs> been doing life together for 10 years. I'm like, well, I mean, I can think of examples. I'm not going to bring these up in preaching. You know what I mean? Right, like, yeah. if we didn't have a mic in front of us, maybe you and I would give some examples. <laughs> but like, how do you... Yeah, you catch what I'm saying? Like, right, yeah. That's just a tough... Yes. Because sermons without, teachings without practical, concrete illustrations are just abstractions. Right. So I don't want to just leave it abstract, but I also don't want to talk about the wickedness of my, you know, competitors <laughs> and enemies, you know? like. Well, I think, again, because we don't want to talk about ourselves, which yeah, you know, sometimes maybe it's a good story and you can, but usually... We don't want to. But looking back at, let's say, Daniel and his three friends, yeah, whichever way we understand the book, the main lessons that we learn from that is when people of God live in adverse situations where it seems like they have the freedom to be who they wanted to be, but yet they're quite clearly in minority and it's hard to remain faithful to who you truly are. All they have to do is, it's like, well, I will still do what I know is right. Hmm. And then the rest is not up to me, right? With these three, you know, three um, three friends right there, they refuse to bow down to the statue. And they say, even if you throw us into the fire, we will still not bow down because God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, Right. Yeah. So same thing happens with, you know, Daniel. It's always a good, you know, it's always a happy end, right? It's a very Hollywood story. <laughs> they are always um, saved. They're saved. They're elevated. They get more power, more uh, respect, which is great. That's not, unfortunately, the story of life, right? Sometimes well, that most, happens. When that story was being written down and first passed around, it was known that this was exceptional. Right. <laughs> that was the point of the story is who knows? It might go well for you, but even if it doesn't, this is right. what you should do. This but then you go to Hebrews 11, right? With all this yes. great uh, people who did <clears throat> this and God saved them. And But how many are those who have not seen the salvation? Right. right. And then I know it's, uh, I'm not trying to make it all like, you know, by and by in the sky. Like it's, um, but how many have suffered and died, but still did the right thing, right? But I think the point here is not that I'm saying, like, take heart, you will die, and that's it. But the vindication is really not ours, right? right. The vindication is the Lord's. Whether it's on this side or the other side of eternity, it's right. still, the point is, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? Right. So it's it's hard, and you can bring, you can share stories usually when it's, like, a long time ago, 
right? Mm. Because now you're on the other side, you can look at it in retrospect and you can see how God has changed the situation, right? Mm. Often it's even not you, but others who come in and say, say, well, we've seen you deal with this. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've heard about this or, you know, whatever that may be. But that's usually a long time. Yeah, but that's later. good homiletical advice is, is sometimes when something's right. still raw, it's not time for it to be an illustration. Right. Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, not a counseling session. Yeah, you might want to wait a little while, right. uh, try to take something that's a little less raw, something that has been at least partially resolved. Right. Um, and you can always go to a literally, you know, figure, right, mm-hmm. or a book or something that yeah, no, you, for sure. you don't have to use your own. Yeah, yeah, I was so mad at the chairman of the board of this church right. two weeks ago, <laughs> and I, he, was, he was being wicked, but I didn't take it out on him, except I am now in this sermon as I, as I tell the story, right? <laughs> I mean, there, you or can- I'm you, going to pray for- Yeah, there's a, there's a self-righteous, there's a self-flattering, there's a right. wicked version of this psalm that can be taken- there's a way of appropriating and teaching this psalm that actually implicitly contradicts it, you right. know? Right. And, it's and I just all- wanted to warn against that. Right. And it's one of the tricky parts of preaching a psalm, you know, in general. Because, like, I know how to pray this psalm. Think of the people I'm pissed about and pray it, <laughs> like, you know, because it is an act of releasement right. when I direct this to God. Or even in community, if we were to direct this to God, and I have thoughts in my head of particular people's faces and names, Right. Right. But the moment I'm preaching and teaching and put take taking on the role of prophet rather than mm-hmm. priest and speaking to others, then all these problems set in. A lot of the, a lot of misuse of the Psalms is when they become texts for preaching rather than right. praying. Then we run into these difficulties of naming the wicked um, right. and praying against them in a way that actually perpetuates the problem. Right. So thanks and, for walking us through that and, a little. And, and the point here is not to go and. Prove that you're right, right? Yeah, it's the opposite. So the, the yeah. opposite's like you remain silent. You, the only person you talk to is God, uh-huh. but you remain silent. You don't go about telling everybody that you're right. Yeah, you oh, don't repay their self-flattery with right. with slander to even it out. Right. So I think it's also very tricky where you find yourself in the psalm, right? Ah. So because as soon as you start talking about, no, I was right. <laughs> Like you kind of move from the end of the psalm to the front of the psalm exactly. where you don't want to be, right? <laughs> so how wise is it? Like what is a good life, right? What is a wise life? What it means to be wise. And quite often wise means not talking, not proving that you're right. You know, it's God's job to prove you're right. It's hard. It's extremely hard. Yeah. Because like I have the facts, <laughs> I can prove I'm right. on my side. Right. But I can't. That's, yeah. not, that's not what it's about. So it's a tough, it's a tough song. It is. It's a good one, though. <laughs> well, yeah, they made it made it in the camp. Made it. It's in so. the top 150. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun to think, though, how many thousands of songs we will never right. know. Right. That's true. I mean, surely these weren't the only 150 right. songs over the course of a thousand years of right. development. <laughs> Top 150. <laughs> Maybe higher than that. I don't know. We'll don't see. Know. <laughs> well, thanks so much. A fitting place to end huh. talking is to talk about how sometimes you just shouldn't 
talk. And I right. think I ruined it by commenting on it, but oh, well, that's what I do. <laughs> that's my foolishness. So thanks, uh, Laura, so much for your time oh, and your engagement you. with the text. Yeah. Thanks, uh, as always, to all our listeners. Thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this show without you guys. Uh, thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks to our uh, patron saints who support the show. If you want to become a supporter of the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see some ways you can support the show there. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs>